Let There Be Light. From Flashbangs and Frag Grenades. By Calchexis. Read by Sam Gabriel. Based on League of Legends by Riot Games. Chapter 2 Baron. Jinx let the collection of papers fall from her fingers onto the table and hung her head, staring dully at the words that were scrawled across the pages. Her eyes picked out the salient words that had stuck into her mind like rusty needles, singing their painful little songs into her brain while she tried to think past the noise. Edict of restriction. Ban on trade. Starvation. That last word wasn't written anywhere, but it was scrawled between every single line of that stupid article. They weren't going to fight Zon, they were going to try and starve them. There would be kids in the streets, more hungry mouths and empty bellies, more dead from slow, wasting pain. Unless Zon gave in and turned over... Jinx. Lux's hand settled on Jinx's bare shoulder, and she looked up into her wife's soft blue eyes. It's okay. We knew something like this would happen. But Zahn can't make food, Blondie, Jinx said. At least, nothing most can eat. There's nowhere to grow it. Can't even grow mushrooms because they suck up the toxins and turn to poison. She leaned forward and buried her face in her hands. We can filter water, but food's always been hard to come by, and it's about to get a lot harder. I know, but we'll manage, Lux said gently. Except Jinx couldn't figure out how they would manage. Her mind clicked and whirred and ticked and talked. She tried to scrape together something, but every solution she came up with came with about a dozen reasons why it wouldn't work. Greenhouses, not enough sunlight. Farms along the fisher shells, no irrigation. Plus, it'd be vulnerable. The Piltovens could just burn them from the cliffs. Zom was a place of hard rock. Nothing was arable. There wasn't even much in the way of dirt, just solid stone all the way down. Can't grow food, can't manufacture it. Can't buy it either, because buying food means going through Piltover. They were trapped on all sides. The exits to Zon were sealed by the sun gates, and the only other way out is up. Straight into Topside. Straight into Piltover. Jinx's foot beat a staccato tattoo against the floor as she tried to find some way around the edict, but for once she was coming up empty. Fuck! Jinx slammed her fist against the table. Lux's arms went around her from behind, and Lux rested her head against Jinx's shoulder, pressing a soft kiss to her cheek before hugging her tight. We'll get through this, she said. But we can't do it alone. And you're not alone anymore. Remember, you're a baron now. And you have to act like one. I didn't even want to be a fucking Ken Baron, Jinx hissed through a clenched jaw. I know, but you are. You're the Baron of the Manifolds, because everyone here in Billowai and in the surrounding enclaves recognizes you as their Baron. That's not for nothing, Jinx. What if it was, though? What if, in the end, it was all for nothing? She had wanted the war with Piltover because, deep down, 
It felt like the only possible way things could end. Jinx had wanted it to come so that she could answer it with fire and death and laughter. Except now, instead of war, they were getting these stupid sanctions that would choke Zahn's people to death long before they had a chance to fight. Lux hugged her a little tighter. We need to meet with Renata and the others, she said. We have to discuss how Zahn will react to the sanctions, and we have to do it fast. I'm sure Renata has a response planned already. Yeah, probably. Jinx hated that that was a relief. Renata was a viper, but she was smart and vicious, and tended to be one step ahead of everyone. Fine, okay. Whatever. Let's go talk to Glask and figure this shit out. Before she could get more than a few steps away, Lux caught her by the hand and pulled her back, and Jinx turned to stare wearily at her wife. I know this isn't exactly what you wanted, Lux said softly. I know this is going to be hard. But if we're going to make it to the war intact, then we have to play this coward's game through, okay? This was a lot easier when I was crazy, Blondie, Jinx said. You're still crazy, Jinx. Yeah. Jinx chuckled gruffly. But it's... There's more now, she said as she carted the fingers of her metal hand through her hair. I can't just ignore them. I can't ignore the street kids and the beggars. I keep seeing them, seeing the way they look at me, and... Luck stepped forward and into Jinx's embrace. Strong arms wrapped around a whipcord frame, and Jinx wrapped her own arms around Lux as she leaned in and rested her chin on Lux's head. Her whole head was a jumble, and her gut was wrapped in knots of rage. All the memories of her childhood, all of the times she and Vi had been grabbed by enforcers and searched, or had been kicked around for the fun of it, bubbled up to the forefront of her mind. It was getting harder and harder to control her temper lately, and Lux had noticed. Of course she had noticed. Lux was perfect and brilliant and beautiful and... and perfect, she knew. Of course she knew. It's okay, Lux murmured soothingly as she stroked Jinx's back. Can't I just go up there and kill him? No, Lux replied. If that were an option, we'd have done it, but they're ready for us now. House Pharos is waiting for us to show our faces. We can't risk going topside anymore. Not without an advantage. Jinx nodded, then crumpled against Lux and buried her face against her wife's shoulder before hugging her even more tightly. Lux withstood it gracefully, giggling lightly as she patted Jinx's head and brushed a kiss against her cheek again, then said, we're going to be fine, but we have to have our heads together when we go into that meeting, okay? I don't think my head's ever been together right, Blondie, Jinx mumbled. What do you want me to do? Be confident, Lux replied. You rule a set of wards that have never wanted nor needed a baron's protection before. You have something that none of them, not even Renata, can come close to having. Jinx looked up at Lux and said, 
and the ability to digest antifreeze? Well, yes, there's that. But I was actually thinking about loyalty, Luck said wryly. Your people are loyal to you, Jinx. You're the only chem baron in Zaun whose subjects actually like them. Do you have any idea how powerful that is? Uh, let's say I do, but how about you pretend I don't and explain it anyway, Jinx said with a weak smile. It means that even the chem barons who want to get rid of you can't, Lux said. You're a hero, Jinx. People want to live in your barony because they believe you'll protect, because you do. That means if the other barons force push to come to shove, the people of Zaun will side with you because you actually care if they die, and Zaunites are survivors. They want to live, and if they think you'll give them that shot, they'll come here to take it. You don't have enough room for that many folks, Blundy, Jinx said. Now, without clearing out another manifold, and I don't know we've got that kind of scrap. It's still a threat, Lux said. Jinx stepped back and scratched at her head as she processed Lux's words. It was true that no one liked the chem barons that they lived under and worked for. The barons were just a fact of life, like lice and throat sores. You dealt with them when they came around, but other than that, you tried not to think about them, because if you thought about them for too long, it'd suck the life out of you. Maybe that was one of the reasons she was so averse to being named a chem baron, being one of the parasites that sat on top of the Zaunite dogpile, ripping food and coin from the hands of anyone too poor and too unlucky not to be her. Being a good ruler is a threat to all tyrants, Luck said warmly. I don't know how to be good at anything but killing, Blindy, you know that, Jinx replied. Well, she gave a salacious little smile. I can think of a few other things you're good at, she said, letting her hands trail down Jinx's sides. But you are a good baron, Jinx. You trust your people to take care of themselves, and you step in when they can't. You have no interest in controlling them, and you don't have to. Most people get along just fine without an iron fist hanging over them. Jinx couldn't help but smile a little wider as she leaned in and kissed Lux softly, and then a little more forcefully before drawing back and asking, So what? I just sit here and threaten to steal all their shit by not being a money-grubbing, whip-cracking dick all the time? Basically, Lux replied. That seemed way too easy. That doesn't make any sense, Jinx said. Why would they think I'm a threat if I'm not going to do anything? Lux sighed. Because they assume you are going to do something, she said. They assume that it's all an act and that you'll turn all those resources to your advantage if they let you. They assume you're going to take them for everything they have because... Because that's what they would do. Jinx finished softly. Precisely. That was the dumbest thing that Jinx had ever heard, and yet it made perfect sense. Politics weren't Jinx's strong suit. She understood the basics, the ebb and flow of them, because Dad had drummed that crap into her, and it didn't come to her naturally, though. Not like machines did. People weren't machines. They ticked and talked in all the wrong ways, and it drove Jinx up the wall. It was so much easier to just shoot them, which unfortunately wasn't an option here. 
The sanctions were going to starve tens of thousands of people if something wasn't done about them, and they only had a single mark to do it in. Once Progress Day came and went, the window would close, and Zahn would be cut off from the wider world. No more trade, not just with Piltover, but with anyone. All the trade that came through to Zahn either passed through the sun gates or across the bridges, and those sanctions meant that nothing coming in would be edible. Soon enough, nothing would be coming in at all. Jinx stepped back and rolled her neck back and forth. Okay, she said, so what? I gotta wear a mask like you used to? That's the best part, actually, Lux said. You just have to keep being you, keep being my wonderful, beautiful wife, and the chem barons will wrap themselves in knots trying to figure out your angle. What about Glask? Jinx asked. Lux shook her head. Don't worry about Glask, she said. Renata has other things to consider. She's not intimidated by you, and she knows you're not her enemy. Lux put a hand on Jinx's cheek. Glask is the only person on that council that we can trust. Yeah, I guess so, Jinx replied. After all, she's the only one that hates Piltover more than I do. Question is, what if she doesn't have a plan? Or what if the plan's like, you know... Piltover has always had us against the wall. Some sacrifices may need to be made, Lux replied. Yeah. Sacrifices, Jinx murmured. What was that phrase her dad had always liked to use? He had explained it to her once. That all change was painful. There was a kind of destruction to it, no matter how you tried to soften it up. Being born was bloody and full of screams. Dying, assuming you were Zonite, usually ended the same way. All changes required it because that's how change worked. One thing had to end for another to begin, and in Jinx's experience, things didn't like ending if they could help it. So it was hard, and sometimes it was ugly. But the thing her father had always been adamant about was something most folks never got. Jinx? Luck said softly. I know that look. What are you thinking? I'm thinking about the base violence necessary for change, she replied with a faint smile. A coarse, hot wind blew across the balcony, ruffling Seraphine's long hair for a moment before billowing it out into a pennant of color that stood out starkly against the grim palette of Zahn. Once upon a time, standing on a balcony meant looking out over a city skyline toward blue skies and across spires of brass. Piltover was a beautiful city that hid a failing, tumorous heart. And even knowing that, Seraphine couldn't help but miss the view. The balcony looked out over the breadth of the Glasgari ward of Zahn. She could pick out the hundreds of tramwires and interlocking street lanes with the naked eye. It was dark, too. It was always dark in Zon. The countless neon lights affixed to the buildings and chasm walls gave the city a strange, toxic starlight quality that Seraphine wasn't sure that she liked. All she knew was that she was tired of the stone and steel and glass. She was tired of breathing through a respirator every other time she went out, 
She was especially tired of Renata Glask, always hovering over her like some kind of brutally graceful grotesque. Ever since the bombing in the conference room, Glask had become increasingly paranoid. Perhaps not unreasonably so, but still it was suffocating. What have I told you about standing out in the open? Speaking of suffocating. We're in the heart of Zon, Seraphine replied without looking behind. She didn't need to look in order to feel Renata's chem-scorched gaze on her back. Besides, she picked a barrette from her hair and flicked it out, and it struck a field of energy barely an arm's length beyond the balcony rail. It's not like anything is getting through that barrier. Nothing we know of, Renata replied as her hands settled on Seraphine's slender shoulders. Seraphine tensed, gritting her teeth as she finally looked back over her shoulder at the woman towering over her in her cream and iron suit and said, I'm not a doll, Renata. You can't just keep me in a box forever. I'll go insane. It won't be forever, kitten, she said flatly. Only until I kill that flesh-spare witch, Camille. Until then, I need you to be a good girl and stay inside. Renata moved to Seraphine's side, slipped an arm around her waist, and casually steered her away from the balcony and towards the bedroom that adjoined it. It was Seraphine's private room, private, of course, from everyone except Renata, who had a master key to the lock and had repeatedly and fragrantly shown that she was not afraid to use it. There was no such thing as personal space or privacy when it came to Renata. Everything that was Seraphine's was also hers, including Seraphine herself. Although Renata had, either out of disinterest or some incredibly fucked-up sense of honor, never availed herself of that. Perhaps because she knew that Seraphine would have fought back. Either way, she'd never tried, and Seraphine found herself absurdly grateful for that, she got handsy now and again, but no more than she was now, but that was different. It was simply Renata reminding her in no uncertain terms who she belonged to. It was a reminder that her life was not her own anymore, it was Renata's. She had signed it away for the sake of her parents' survival and happiness, and Seraphine didn't regret that for a moment. It didn't mean she had to like her circumstance, but she didn't regret it. If anything, in her more private moments, she was forced to admit that, her disdain for personal privacy aside, Renata had been oddly hospitable. Seraphine was well taken care of, never mistreated, and at times even felt oddly appreciated. And then there were those occasional deeply buried thrums that happened deep within Renata's soul. Seraphine had never brought them up because she wasn't sure how to or even what they were. Sometimes, though, when Renata touched her, there was an echoing thrum like a deep bass chord. It was playing right then, even as Renata guided Seraphine into her room and over to the vanity, which had been unsurprisingly stocked with all manner of cosmetics. Glask brand, obviously. Sit, Renata ordered, and Seraphine obeyed. Good. Now, 
Renata moved around her and pulled out a few brushes and powders. The Piltoven Council has made their move, and the Chem Barons are meeting to discuss the implications as well as our response. What did they do? Seraphine asked as she tipped her head up and allowed Renata to begin applying a thin layer of foundation. They passed an edict restricting the sale of food and water to Zahn, starting at the end of Mark Aurea. Officially, it will trigger at the end of Progress Day. Isn't that appropriate? Seraphine's heart dropped into her stomach. Food and water, that was horrifying. Zahn had no natural food supply, and in many places its water supply was restricted by outflow pumps controlled by Piltover itself. Only the new Manifold's barony and a handful of older wards had access to a controlled water supply. That's monstrous, Seraphine murmured. And Renata hummed in agreement as she took a delicate brush and painted a delicate streak of black across Seraphine's lips. Of course it is, but that's the nature of topsiders, you see. That's the nature of everyone, really. High-minded ideals are the first casualties of hardship. You will find that Piltover's vaunted ethos is surprisingly flexible. Renata drew the brush away from Seraphine's lips, and she rolled them gently together, spreading the black pigment, then tipped her head a little higher to show Renata. Why the older woman went to this trouble, Seraphine wasn't sure. The first time had been strangely humiliating, although she hadn't been able to put a finger on why. Now applying her makeup for her was simply something that Renata did. When she'd asked, Renata had told her it was because Seraphine was going to be on her arm and she ought to look her best. That had never really rung quite true, however. Hmm. Black is such a good color on you, kitten, Renata said approvingly. Now close your eyes. As always, Seraphine obeyed. She felt the soft bristles of the brush apply a dusting of coal below her eyes and over her eyelids as Renata continued. The Canberrans will whinge about the possibilities of revolt, but they will fall in line as they always do. Corina is my only concern. How will we feed the people, though? Seraphine asked, eyes still dutifully closed. Starvation will set in quickly once the supply is cut off, and you know merchants will pull back on selling before the cutoff. Of course they will, Renata replied calmly. Then how— Trust me, kitten, she said sternly. And this is within expectation. The Council is not as clever as they seem to believe. This was the most obvious ploy. Seraphine blew an angry breath through her nose, then said, But it's a ploy that will work. This is a manufactured famine. It's genocide. A quiet sigh escaped Renata as the brush left Seraphine's eyelids. And after a moment, she opened her eyes back up to find Renata looking down at her with an inscrutable expression on her face. The song deep within her, that orchestral mandate of harmony had grown solemn. She set down the coal brush, took up a blush brush, and swept it around in a container lightly before bringing it up to Seraphine's cheek. Pink, I think, Renata said quietly as she began applying a light dusting of color to Seraphine's face. 
Black and pink suit you, kitten. Seraphine stared angrily up at her but didn't move as Renata finished her left cheek and moved to her right. They remained silent and Renata held her gaze for a long moment as she lowered the brush. Seraphine had learned to hate Renata Glask's eyes. They were merciless and full of fury and hate and old, old pain. They were pools of tar lit with toxic, chemical fire. And they burned slow and hot. Her eyes could drag you down into it, and then drown you like an animal. That wasn't what she hated about them, though. What Seraphine hated about Renata Glask's eyes was that despite all that, they were still so painfully human. It would have been easier if she had the eyes of a monster. Tell me you have a plan, Seraphine said after a moment. Tell me I'm not going to watch a city full of innocent people starve to death in the streets because you want revenge on Piltover. Or what? Renata asked softly. Or I'll scream you off the balcony and straight into that stupid barrier. That would be a fascinating trick to see you manage. Chemtech fingers wrapped neatly around Seraphine's neck. Through a crushed trachea, kid. Seraphine pressed her lips to a thin line, narrowed her eyes, and said, I could do it. It would kill me, but I could do it. And I told you at the start of this that I don't mind dying if it means killing a monster. Renata chuckled richly as she gave Seraphine's neck a playful squeeze before letting go and saying, I do have a plan, of course. We can't very well wage a war with a starving army, can we? What is it? Spoilers, kitten, Renata replied coolly. Now, let's find you something pretty to wear. The text of this story is available on AO3. Music by Dot Matrix. If you would like me to record a story, voice over a character, get in touch using the contact information available on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as a link to my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.